My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Today, I'm joined by Alexander Zabrowski, um, formerly known as at AJD Henry, uh, currently known at, at Fauci Maine. You've had many incarnations. Um, my favorite one was uh, Turning Point Dyatlov Pass. Uh, well, welcome. Welcome, Alexander. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good to oh, be here. It's great to have you on. It's great to have you on. Uh, you're one of my favorite posters. Um, you've been not silent, but a bit more quiet lately. Is there a reason that you've maybe stepped away from whatever it is that we engage in every day? Um, have you have you decided to to take it a bit easier? Um, yes and no. Part of it has been just practical reasons of traveling quite a bit um, over the past couple months. Um, so that's definitely been part of it. I've gone from uh, Central Europe to the West Coast by plane, train, automobile. So it's been kind of a, a journey um, intentionally. But also, uh, yeah, I definitely have stepped back for kind of, I guess, for lack of a better word, that I, I feel like um, I've kind of reached the limits of what can be said through the medium, I guess, in a way. Um, and part of that may be also because a lot of the things that I kind of had predicted are coming true. And so, and I announced that to gloat at all. I just say it once that happens, it's kind of like, well, well, where do you go from there? Um, but I'm by no means like done or anything. Uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll be back more, but, um, yeah, that's, that's the short explanation, I guess. Yeah. I mean, which, which one of your predictions has come, has come to fruition and that, you know, are, are you shocked by that as well? Um, well, it's hard to pick just one, but I think like in a general sense, the whole kind of, and this is a word that's like fraught and complex, but the whole collapse thing, I think, is sort of happening, not the way that I necessarily expected it entirely, but I think it now has become undeniable that like, um, you know, Western civilization or even like civilization in general is at a real kind of um, inflection point. Um, but what's what's different, I think, from what I predicted is that it's a sort of managed collapse in a way, or it's attempted to be managed. Um, and so I think in, in the past couple of years, since 2020, a lot of things have kind of rapidly unfolded that um, uh, I, I think a, a decade has happened in the past two years, I guess, or a couple of decades, it almost feels like. And so seeing that, I guess I've kind of um, said, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's here. Whatever I thought was going to happen for a while is kind of here. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of those things that you know it's um, 
it's 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 fun to be in in kind of these online spaces and discuss things but the, the problem is like it's it's at my door at this at this point like all the things that we've been talking about and all the things that you know people like yourself and the other guests that I've had on this podcast um correctly predicted correctly outlined and they said okay this is coming um very few people wanted to tie a timeline to it but the reality is i mean looking at you know energy prices looking at inflation looking at just the 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 total state of disrepair of many of the things that you know keep the water running and keep the lights on and even the fact that the pipeline of getting people to go take care of these things is completely destroyed uh and you know the people coming up are maybe incompetent doesn't even begin to describe it um is worrying and these types of things tend to compound and cascade really fast. And I think, you know, COVID really showed us that, that, you know, COVID really was a a scary thing, both in terms of how much central control there is from these relatively incompetent people. um, And also, you know, how, how fast these things can become, um, I don't know, our day-to-day reality. Like this is a completely different world from two years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, it, it's one of those things where, like we were just saying with the um, the simultaneous like hyper management centralization of power combined with like borderline or beyond borderline incompetence uh, chaos incoherence like I, I somebody described this as we're now living in like kind of the age of incoherence and I think that that's I can't remember where I read it but it was I think that's kind of a good way to describe it is that we're now in this time where you have these conflicting uh, trends that are happening simultaneously and sort of in concert but opposition to each other. And, and the, the massive centralization of, of financial power, of tech power, of, um, you know, of all these things and censorship and all that is happening while you know, uh, basic transportation is breaking down. And um, you're not entirely, but you can just see it's it's just strained and 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 uh, you know it's it's at its limits, you know, the breaking point. And so that that duality is kind of interesting to me. Is is what does that portend for the future? Uh, we can get into that, I guess, if you'd like. But um, it's it's a weird it's a weird time to be to be around. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean quite if, you, simply. if you take all these systems apart and you just look at you know what. What are the incentives for each of the participants who make up this system? I think that's where all of these, um, you know, opposing forces come in because, you know, everyone talks about, you know, they talk shit about monarchy and, you know, whenever there's like, you know, one white guy in charge of the factory and, you know, management, hierarchical management and all this type of stuff. That type of stuff had a certain logic to it because if you went up the the ladder of hierarchy, you could get to the guy who is ultimately responsible for all of this stuff. We've essentially decentralized this type of stuff. Um, we've decided that um, the state is there to have experts to manage scientifically all of the stuff that you know now you know there's a science to. And then you have the market, which through the the magical mechanism of market, and it is magical in some ways, but it's not magical in all ways, can sort out all of the things that tie to you know supplying needs, supplying um, desires to the population uh and surprisingly or maybe not so surprisingly this completely decentralized headless mess um has no accountability at the end of the day there's literally no one you can go after for you know 
if there's no more electricity. I, I'm I'm in the mindset of electricity. I just had um, Emmett Penny on last night, and we we're talking about you know the electrical grid, and it is very scary <laughs> what's going on or what is not going on as well. Like the fact that they're like you know a thousand people in charge, no one responsible for what keeps heat on in this country where it gets to minus twenty in winter, and I have a baby, and this is like this is important like life-changing stuff and it's like yeah you know um something's gonna happen who's in charge no one knows it's it's really scary yeah i mean here in in california we have that issue with the power it's they they've been doing power cuts the past few years because of the fires that have been started by down power lines because the grid here is 100 years old um and it's you know this hodgepodge of you know different companies and it it's just it hasn't been updated it has been just kind of left to to slowly decay um it, over the past few decades but but getting back to your broader point too i think it's what what's you know described as sort of the mystification of power um across all spheres the mystification of you know of financial power of of political power that you can just point the finger at somebody else and there is no one in charge um I mean, you, you, you know, you could argue there are people at the wheel. There are people who are, you know, certainly with immense amounts of, of, uh, of wealth and, um, and influence. But there's also just the sense that, like, there's nobody in control. And the buck can just be endlessly passed around in a sort of game of musical chairs. And I think, you know, in the United States in particular, that's very emblematic right now. I mean, it's, it's um, you look at, at Biden, at President Biden, and it's just so clearly somebody who's senile and is being puppeteered by, you know, who really knows. Um, but it's, it's in no way is there a sense that you actually know who's in control anymore. It's entirely behind the scenes. And I, I don't even mean that in necessarily a conspiratorial sense, but it's just, you don't know who's, who's running the show anymore. Um, yeah. It feels like there are people who are benefiting. That's for sure. There are people who are making money off of this, but they're not the people who are in any way even responsibilizable. Like in the sense that you can't even attribute responsibility to them. They're just, you know, holding the bag at the end of the cascade of stuff. They just know where to position their bag, you know, strategically to get the money. Uh, but it's not like even they, even even like someone like, you know, a, a, a captain of industry and in, in markets like George Soros, I don't think he's like, you could be like, okay, I'm just going to tear this guy down. Like he's created like this, this you know, multi-headed hydra of NGOs, of, of committed people to the same causes as him, you know, like if his money's getting extracted, there's just other people coming in to, to fill the gap. So it's, um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a bit, it's kind of the worst of, of all worlds, I feel. Yeah. It, it's like, there's a sort of, I mean, uh, egregore machine with a mind of its own kind of operating as well. Right. I mean, it, like you say, you can, you can take out one, you know, you can, you can remove the influence of one person. You can, you know, theoretically, but it's, it, it, the, the system is, um, and this is where it gets into ideas. I think of, you know, you could talk about techno industrial civilization itself or, or the financial system having, you know, its own interests and in, invisible in hand or, or what have you, but as a whole, it operates like a, um, like a machine and it's a machine with many redundancies. And so you can, you can go after one part of it, 
you know, you can you can have a presidential election. You can elect a Donald Trump, for example, but the system will grind on around him because he and his position just represents, you know, a really small part of it, I think. Um, I think real power lies elsewhere. I think it's been made clear over the past, certainly over the past few years and, and longer term that, you know, um, there's a very limited amount that through politics it we, seems we can affect. Um, and I don't know what that, what that means for the future, but. Yeah, it does seem like, you know, real power has to, you know, start appearing on the scene. I think it's it almost becomes a little bit inevitable when, you know, all of the infrastructure starts to break down. I mean, it's slowly been decaying. And like you said, it's been, you know, managed collapse. But um, I think the management of the collapse is also narrative. Like a, a lot of people are like, for example, um, people in Germany are like, oh, you know, it's going to be cold this winter, but it's going to be for Ukraine or something like that. You know, I think the narrative right. management of collapse is is the next level where it's like, OK, um, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, like put up with this inflation because it's because, I don't know, they're Nazis about and they're going to, I don't know, if, if you let them, they're going to murder your family sometime down the line. So it's it's um, they've got they've got that strategy down pat. But I feel like you can't really. I don't know, how far can you take that? You know, at one point, people are going to be cold. They're going to be hungry. They're going to have problems that are not just related to who they're hanging out with online and, you know, whatever status games they're playing. Uh, and that's going to be a, a dark day. And I think, you know, power will, you know, come in through the window, through the door, whatever, you know, like the Kool-Aid mascot or something. Something's going to gonna give. And someone will have to, you know, take that hierarchical power back and say, okay, I'm going to be energy Caesar and I'm going to fix the, the grid. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how that's going to happen, but it feels inevitable at this point because there's literally no other way things have ever gotten done on the face of the earth in humanity uh, without some dude probably coming in and, you know, just doing the thing uh, and people being very happy that, that he did. Well, that's kind of the, the million dollar question, isn't it? And, and I don't, I, I say I want to say this not to black pill, but I do think we're in somewhat uncharted territory um, when it comes to this question because I think what's new is the total immersive nature of media. Um, and uh, real original quote that I obviously didn't come up with: Marshall McLuhan talking about the medium is the message, right? Um, that what we're in now is a, is an era where you can keep people satisfied with bread and circuses to tolerate spiritually, uh, economically, uh, physically degrading conditions, I think much more than would ever have been tolerated in the past. Um, so you can get people to be okay with, you know, sitting in their apartment in, in uh, Cologne this summer or uh, winter rather, and, you know, having to keep the thermostat set at 50 um, if they can plug into the metaverse, you know, just put on another blanket. I mean, um, it, it's, I think that, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to be fatalistic about it. I do, I do think, and I, I hope that there is a breaking point for people, but I think what the, for lack of a better word, elites are counting on is that they can satiate, um, a great part of the population, um, and, and use the narrative, you know, methods you were talking about as well. I mean, you look at things like the Ukraine war. I mean, it's it's just it's one big show, right? It's one big kind of 
um, wag the dog episode to kind of give people an external enemy to blame for their falling living standards. Well, you can't afford food. Well, it's because Putin, you know, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many intelligent people I've, or people I considered intelligent. I have spoken to in the past six months who said stuff to me like, well, the Russia war is happening because, because Trump, um, because Russiagate and, uh, or the, 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 it's happening because Putin, you know, Putin is a Nazi and it's just total incoherent narratives, but these are smart people with like PhDs. <laughs> and so if they can be made to believe this, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of, if you can, if you can externalize the fault, the, the fault of the falling living standards onto, you know, an outside enemy, I mean, it's trite and cliched, but it's like right out of, it's right out of Orwell, isn't it? It's right out of 1984. We've always been at war with, with, uh, uh, Oceania. I, I'm getting the, the countries mixed up from the story, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the, the kind of the, the shocking, um, thing typically is that, you know, now, I mean, I'm, I'm very much in a bubble of my own, obviously. And I know I'm sure that I, you know, believe random things that are just kind of intuitively correct because of the narrative that I've internalized and that I represent myself. Um, but I can see this, I can see these bubbles becoming much more rigid, even with the people around me. Like, remember, <laughs> my mom just went on, on vacation and she, you know, she's just, you know, R Romanian lady and she went to, to Turkey and it was like this nice hotel. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of Russians there, as typically there are everywhere, you know, in, in kind of a semi-Russia uh, adjacent uh, parts, because there's a lot of them. Um, and then she was, she just kind of told me like, oh, you know, these you know, they're, they're, they, they get drunk. They're like, they kind of, she kind of has had a little bit of kind of like this dehumanizing tone to how she was describing. Like she was really irritated that there were Russians at this hotel and, you know, um, but it was just like something that wouldn't have even crossed her mind. Like, I don't know, two, three, four years ago. And I could tell that, you know, this is, this is kind of the tone that is being communicated in these, um, in, in this information that people talk about, you know, obviously there is kind of, um, an animus towards Russia in Romania as well. We've had, you know, all sorts of dealings with the Russians, you know, not necessarily friendly, but I feel like whatever narratives there are about Ukraine right now, um, they've kind of hijacked that, you know, classical animus that we had and just kind of upped it to uh, essentially almost like, you know, World War II rhetoric or, you know, um, talking about either, you know, Jewish scum or German dogs or whatever, you know, it's, it's always like these metaphors about filth and infestation. And, um, you know, this is a, an ancient instinct and they're really tapping into this. And, you know, my, my mom is like a very like smart, educated woman, like, you know, she should be immune to this stuff, but I don't think anyone really is, you know, if you, if, if enough, pressure if enough narrative pressure is applied so i don't know it, it kind of sometimes feels to me like this is just a it's kind of the the ghost in the machine i mean this is just the nature of this technology and you know if you overlay this type of technology over how the human mind works it's almost inevitable that you you drift into these, you know, mimetic spheres based on whatever temperament or, you know, even random factors. Why, why are you interested in this stuff? Obviously, I think my bubble is more right about things than other bubbles, but I guess that's probably the sentiment that everyone has when they're exposed to this stuff. I don't know. It's, you know, I don't want to be like a complete Luddite or whatever, anarcho-primitivist or, you know, I, I understand that that's like, that's, that's a, a hell of its own, but there's, there's just something about this stuff that is... I don't know. It's it's kind of disconcerting just seeing what it does to people I know that you know are physically around me. Well, that's the beauty of propaganda too, right? I mean, the the 
the ultimate success of propaganda is when you make you you get people or you 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 make it so people don't realize they've been propagandized um and you know they they will they will think that they are arriving at a conclusion or a belief about the world or about somebody or an idea on their own and not because they've you know been bombarded with um with indoctrination whether it comes from the school system or it comes from the television or social media or or whatever and 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 yeah like we were saying earlier i mean the immersion now in this stuff is so total for people even I mean, just for the, the normal person, you know, I mean, it, there's, it is very hard to unplug from it for most people, because if you're, if you're, you know, uh, I mean, I think Facebook is becoming less popular, which is kind of why they're trying to branch out into other things. But still, if you're, you know, a lot of boomers are on Facebook to communicate, and they're scrolling through and getting, you know, just bombarded with, with, uh, with, algorithmically placed or, you know, sponsored by intelligence agencies or, or who knows, you know, this stuff, it, it, it's, um, it's amazing how, you know, you can be an intelligent person, you can have the best of intentions, but, you know, it's like that cartoon with Garfield, you're not immune to propaganda. I think n- nobody is. Um, but, you know, speaking of bubbles, I think that that's the most important thing to try to do. And it's sort of how I ended up in this, in this sphere, because I was raised I was raised in a very liberal environment, West Los Angeles, and uh, I was for my teenage years. I was, you know, a big centrist, liberal, Obama, all that stuff. And the reason I, I um, am not that anymore is because I sought out alternative viewpoints, and I still do. I mean, most of the content I consume is from like um, people I disagree with on purpose um, because I want to hear their viewpoints, and there's things that I may find common cause with them on. You know, but shutting out and remaining in the bubble, I think, is the is the worst part um, or the worst tendency that that a lot of people have. Yeah, I feel like that's why our circle kind of attracts, um, I don't know, autistic people. I don't know what what it is. Just, you know, there's a certain um, you kind of have to have a certain tolerance towards uncomfortable stuff. Like, I mean, the first time I read uh, You Are or like, you know, the, the Mold Bug Diaries, <laughs> you know, I was, you know, having some serious moral cringe inside. I was like, whoa, <laughs> should I be reading this? Or no, even even worse in a way, I think the the Dark Enlightenment, the Nick Land, uh, the, the huge Nick Land article, that was even more, I think, a bit, you know, soul cringing for me. But I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to go power through this and see 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 where it takes me. Um, but I could, you know, I I could imagine I could put myself in, you know, the position of someone who's, you know, just has that instant moral reflex and they're like, "Whoa. Pass. <laughs> really don't don't want to go down." And I'm not saying that this is, you know, um an, a universal quality that, you know, people should be this way. Uh, I think there's a good reason for why people, you know, cringe and horror at um, things that are not uh, standard in society or, you know, uh, things that things that are morally stigmatized. Um, but uh, I think we're at the point where uh, there's a lot of stuff that's morally stigmatized that shouldn't be. And, you know, we're, we're at that um, value inversion point of, of decline. So um, there is a certain virtue in being and um, being a little bit autistic about these things and and seeking them out um but yeah i mean at the moment uh i probably should be reading more opposing stuff i mean i do 
I do follow, you know, Noah Smith <laughs> and Iglesias and people like that. I don't think I can do more than that in terms of my my tolerance to bullshit. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it's a virtue. I think you, I, I commend you for for doing it. But I, I wonder what what type of stuff do you listen to that's, you know, not dissident right material? Well, I should I should be more clear about that because I mean, people like Iglesias, I I you know I I I I, I follow or check in on just for the laughs, um, mm-hmm. you know that that whole crowd, the Chapo people, the you know Noah Smith, all those types. When I, I'm talking more about people like a Glenn Greenwald or a Jimmy Dore, people who I think are honest people, and they have real disagreements on certain things that that I or I would have disagreements with them, but. I think that they they say what they mean, they believe it, even if I think some of them some of their their ideas are misguided, and I can respect that. And you know, and I I, I you know I've changed a few of my viewpoints or moderated them based on things I've I've read from people like that. You know, Aaron Mate, um, uh, Max Blumenthal from the Gray Zone, that whole kind of sphere I find really um, fun to listen to because they're approaching things, I think, from an honest position of like, they really, they really believe in like, kind of the old school, I mean, they would call themselves leftists, but it's a kind of old school liberalism of like, actually believing in like real principles. And, um, you know, when you say you're anti-war, you actually are anti-war, it's not just a pose and that, that sort of thing. Um, and so that's, that's where I try to, you know, I, I, I try to listen to people like that. But, you know, when it comes to you know, like the MSNBC, you know, New York Times editorial pages, NPR, I purely listen out of, you know, amusement, because I don't think, I don't think there's anything to be gained from there, not because I disagree with them, but because I think it's literally just propaganda. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think uh, I call NPR like sissy hypno for boomers, because I think it's just all, all in the delivery of like, you know, trying to lull people into this, this state of total. Um, just mind-numbing acceptance, but um, yeah, I um, I think a lot of people too. You know, the point I think you were making earlier was and uh, about bubbles. A lot of people are actually just terrified of having their mind changed, um, and I think that comes from a a real attachment to political ideological beliefs as like a crucial part of the self um, in a world where a lot of people don't aren't religious anymore and don't have a faith in God or, or anything really, or, um, uh, at least very quasi or fully atheistic, right? This becomes their religion. Um, and they are, uh, terrified of losing it because it's an integral part of the self. And, and there's certainly a very human, like, you know, reaction where you don't want to have your mind colonized by someone, right? There's, if you sense that someone is trying to change your mind, you push back against it often because you're like, well, I don't want to have my, my, um, my thoughts controlled by someone. Right. But what these people do that against, you know, any alternative viewpoint without kind of realizing that like their own viewpoints usually aren't their own. They are the result of imbibing corporate propaganda and whatever. And I I don't say this from a position of like superiority. I say this because that was me when I was like 17 so I recognize in other people, absolutely. And it, it, it saddens me, but I've kind of moved past the point of like trying to change minds, I think. Um, and it, not entirely, but I just, I don't think you can lead, you can lead horses to water, but you really cannot make people drink. They have to want to, 
they have to want to um, open their minds just to entertain even the possibility of things they they didn't you know they might disagree with, and people can't even entertain it. I think um, so. Yeah, that's kind of my take on that. Yeah, I think you're you're completely right about that, and I think the point about the um, the fact that you know people are are very deeply committed to this stuff, like you know, in their in their heart of hearts, uh, and they can't really detach from it. I think it's also tied to um, the fact that you know ideas and these like semi-religious commitments to certain ideas are um, the thing, the glue that ties you to a community uh, classically. Classically, it used to be, you know, people in your family, people around you, but now these communities are much more solid in a way online. And, you know, these these uh, ideas are a bit more, I don't know, deep, deeply set in, in, in motion when you're... Um, when you're in these forums, in these groups, you know, and um, this is kind of the the replacement activity, kind of the surrogate activity, the final surrogate activity that we're given um, instead of, you know, doing the doing the needful of survival where, you know, you're you're scrambling for food and shelter and, and protection from from enemy tribes, which is a good thing in, in many ways. But it kind of leaves you open to to capture by these by these things. Essentially, we don't really have other um other ties that are deeper than whatever the machine provides at the moment. Uh, at least, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are people, I mean, people living in the countryside in Romania probably don't have this problem, but the problem is that it's, it's trickling down. I mean, um, you know, a, a lot of people ask me like, Oh, you know, you're, you're kind of in this trad life in, in Romania, but you know, the people from my generation, they all kind of have the same problems as uh, people from, you know, downtown LA or London or the bigger cities. Uh, they're all, essentially living at least a good chunk of their life online and trying to pretend that they're not addicted to online spaces. I mean, I'm as a, as someone who's like on the internet as a super user of social media, this is essentially what I do. I'm definitely, you know, at the top of, uh, of the, um, yeah, of the charts of, of who's using the internet. But, uh, I don't think a lot of, you know, my girlfriends or people that I grew up with are very far behind. Like they're all like, you know, stacking up, you know, three, four, five, six hours on their phones. And then they're working on the computer in the rest of the time. And then maybe they watch TV and then essentially they're just pouring stuff through their eye holes. 12, 13, 14 hours a day. And then maybe they work out for an hour or two when they, you know, listening to podcasts and, and doing other stuff. So um, essentially kind of the, the capture is almost complete. And the people who, you know, the aspirational people from the rural areas, they essentially want to want to join these things as well because they're, you know, they're aspirational. They're, they're interesting. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a strange thing. You can't really disconnect and it does give, it does give your life meaning. And I think there's, there's another point I wanted to make about this is that, it's it's also the format that the internet has taken right now. It's um, the fact that you know you you went from an ad model to a subscription model, um, and you know even you know I I work on a subscription model as well. You know people pay me to get the podcast early, um, and then that kind of forms this this community that has its own incentives where you essentially want. There's more pandering to people. Like, for example, people who pay for NPR, because NPR, that's how it works now. It's a, it's a subscription service. Um, NPR has all of the incentives to be the most shit-lib crazy place because who's going to pay for an NPR subscription? It's going to be, you know, 
the craziest shit lives. <laughs> so they're gonna they're gonna want to hear their you know their most fringe you know deepest shit library reflected back at them. And I think you know this is kind of where things are going. You know, Substack is is wonderful, but it's essentially kind of the the spearhead of, of things like this. You know, you only you you're creating echo chambers, and um, and that's what people want. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, speaking to the kind of the disconnection versus being plugged in, it's, it really is a double-edged sword, right? Because there's, there's a feeling of, you know, the, the upside of the connection on a place like Twitter and elsewhere, too, is that I, I legitimately think, and I'm not just saying this because some of them are friends of mine and, and whatever, and I'm on Twitter, too. I, I think some of the brightest minds in the world or the most interesting and insightful people in the world are on Twitter and online right now. Um, I think that's where like the salons, you know, the equivalent of like, you know, the, the most interesting conversations are happening. The people who are, I mean, I'm continually astounded by how funny and clever and insightful people that I follow are, and they have like 200 followers. You know, it's just, it's insane that there are just these people kind of, you know, you know, just doing it for fun mostly. Um, meanwhile, you have people who get paid, you know, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year to write for the times or whoever. And they just start just banal regurgitators of elite orthodoxy. Right. Um, so there is that aspect of it, but like you're saying, the flip side of it is that I think, I, I mean, I also find that I'm happiest when I'm disconnected and don't know what's happening in the news. Um, and that's actually interesting that you brought up, you know, Romania, I, I definitely felt, you know, I was in, I was in Croatia, um, for uh this spring and then i came back to the states and um it was just an interesting contrast actually went by way of germany on the way back um but i definitely felt like i was going from a high sanity or a a low insanity place to a higher insanity place as i came back to the united states and i do think there's an aspect of i think being outside the anglosphere has maybe shielded a lot of places and, and, you know, um, especially the further East you go. I mean, I've spent last fall in, in Germany and then went from Germany to Croatia and it was definitely like a breath of fresh air, um, in terms of, you know, the, when it came to COVID, when it came to other things, just, um, you could feel that people there were way less intently focused on the news and on, you know, but like you say, you know, people are still in these places, you know, the economies are developing, they're spending, you know, there's, if they're moving to the city, they're, they're working email jobs, or they're spending all this time in front of the computer. And, and I mean, I don't know if it's as simple as, you know, LOL technology bad, but it kind of is <laughs> in another way. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's, it, there's a, a real truth to that, that like, it's uh, the, the, the medium itself and the uh, the thing you're using is is kind of what's most important. And I, I do worry. I think that I think that there, you know, uh, I haven't been to Romania, and you could probably speak to whether this is an accurate statement or not. But just in my take on Croatia, they're definitely behind. They're 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 not as far down the path that you know the United States has gone and, and other kind of Western countries in terms of this like kind of development of of just total immersion and insanity in this in this stuff, but they're on that road. It's just kind of a question of, can they arrest that, you know, um, and if all, obviously other tons of other factors too, you know, cultural, religion, economic, all those, you know, 
interplaying as well. But I, I don't know. I, I, I hope, I hope that they can, you know, that they don't make the same mistakes that, that, you know, other parts of the West did, but um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, maybe, maybe I also, I'm kind of in a bubble. I mean, I, I guess if you went to Croatia, I went somewhere by the seaside. Um, is that, is that where you were? I was actually everywhere. Um, okay. I, I, in the three months I was there, I, I traveled around, uh, met with some friends, um, and pretty much saw almost the entire country except for, um, Slavonia and the East. Um, but I was in Serbia last year for half, well, a little bit less than half the year. So I kind of got a sense of that culture as well. And I, I don't see this as sound like an eat, pray, love, just traveling the world type. I really, you know, was, I kind of was trying to really live there um, and be a part of it as much as I could. But yeah, I mean, you know, being on the seaside or something like that, it's definitely a, a different vibe. Yeah, I think there's kind of a, a, a Mediterranean thing as well that kind of adds to the the, the low neuroticism. It's, it's hard to to be psycho by the seaside. I guess you kind of have to, to try a bit harder. Uh, yeah, I think it's 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 interesting and it's it's hard because I mean now I'm in kind of these kind of mommy circles. And I see like most of these women are addicted to their phones. You know, they essentially pop their kids in front of whatever coca melon or, you know, whatever is, uh, is, is trendy now. And it's happened really fast. And it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a bit disconcerting because it's like, you know, you don't really need a lot of prep, uh, not a lot of run up. I think COVID really did a number on people in terms of, you know, addiction to devices and addiction to all sorts of whatever infrastructure on the Internet, because there's really there really wasn't anything else to do. I mean, I, I started Twittering with COVID and I started this podcast COVID and, you know, I'm definitely one of these people. But um, it feels like, you know, it's 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 very hard to. um to take a step back from this stuff. Like it's, I don't know. I don't know if my critique is very uh, developed, but I don't know. I, I just, I just worry. I feel like it's, it's something that is very easily to adopt. It's very hard to walk back from. And it's also very aspirational. I mean, the most, the smartest and most, you know, so-called highly educated people that I know around here are most addicted to this stuff, you know? And like I said, I'm probably, you know, spearheading this stuff as well, but it's, I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I make kind of a, a, an effort to not, you know, do it around my child and, uh, you know, just kind of keep a, a distance between my, my, you know, normal life and this, but still it's, I don't know, it's very insidious. It is. And I mean, I, I know I can say pretty certainly that like the people I know who are the most well-adjusted and sane are the ones who spend the least time online. The ones who, and the ones who, you know, work with their hands. Um, there's been these debates in the online right between like rural and urban and white collar, blue collar, all this sort of stuff, which I think is kind of a red herring. Um, but I do think there is some significant amount of truth. I mean, I know I personally, uh, you know, I, I, my job has involved or the, the multiple jobs I've had over my life have all involved like, um, you know, heavy computer use and I am happiest when I'm just like literally just digging a hole in the backyard or, you know, working in the garden or hauling, you know, brush and that sort of thing. Like I'm just much more satisfied doing that. And I think there's a real inescapable truth there, which is that this stuff is not, is not good for people. And, um, it's increasing kind of, you know, you talk about COVID accelerated the stranglehold it had. I mean, you know, of course 
especially for people who really kind of were, if you're living in an urban environment, you become very, you know, uh, kind of wrapped up in your, in your pod and, and not going outside and you just get used to that lifestyle. Um, and it's just, it's fundamentally very anti-human. And, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I sometimes, uh, I'm not the first person to say this, but I sometimes think we, it would be great if an EMP could go off or something, or, you know, another Carrington events could happen and just kind of fry all the circuits and we could just kind of like, you know, do a little reset, but, um, you know, no, I'll, I'll no, keep no, my fingers no. crossed. <laughs> you know why? Like, uh, it's just, uh, it's interesting because I actually talked about the podcast yesterday uh, about this because my, my husband's just reading this book, which is kind of essentially um, science fiction, but uh, it's, you know, what what's going to happen after an EMP? And at one point they, you know, you get, they get to cannibalism and shit like that. So it's, it's shockingly because he kind of recounted all of the failure points there. And I'm like, really, really, really? Well, yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at how things are managed and how interconnected and all the supply chains and no one knows how to do anything anymore, there's, you know, you know, it's, it could get really bad really soon. So I do hope that it's not going to be an EMP. I do prefer managed collapse. If 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 we're going to have collapse, make it managed slow and uh, you know try at least let us let us adapt. You know, let me grow some tomatoes or or whatever. You know, stockpile <laughs> rice in the basement. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, it can get really hairy. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you know accurate this science fiction book was, but it seemed pretty. You know, it kind of kept me up at night for a few days. <laughs> I was like, hmm. Really don't want a solar flare if possible. Just, just relax, son. Um, anyway, yeah, I think I think you're 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 onto something, though. I mean, it's it it feels like you know this is kind of has has its claws in us in, in many ways. And there's um, I don't know. I really don't know how how we could uh, we could we could walk this back without some you know disaster happening. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, I think probably small disasters are going to start happening more and more uh, and people are just going to have to deal with them on a piecemeal basis. Um, I do hope the water keeps running, uh, you know, electricity keeps, you know, the lights are still on. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's there, I don't see many directions without, um, you know, some some. I guess, spiritual shakeup, because essentially that's, that's what we need. You know, I think people need a, a, a spiritual reset where, you know, the, the purpose of life um, becomes tangibly different from survival. Because essentially that's kind of the, the end point of, of rationalistic humanity. It's like, okay, we need to, you know, have more bare life, you know, like COVID type ideas. Um, you need to, I don't know, maximize your utility, maximize your enjoyment. You know, that's just spiritual hell. We're, we're at that point where this is essentially the, the, the software that we're all running. And there needs to be some sort of major spiritual reset. Um, I don't know. Some, I guess maybe this is, this is the apocalypse. This is, you know, you get to a point where it's like, you know, you need... A major spiritual reset. We need essentially the rapture to take us all, whichever way one wants to interpret that. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's it feels maybe I'm blackpilled because I'm on the internet, but it does feel like something something's got to give. Well, you know, I mean, the next best thing to a rapture would be an EMP. But no, I mean, <laughs> I, I I I agree with entirely with what you're saying. I think um, 
The, the issue with the managed collapse, though, is the question of who is managing it and to what end, right? Um, and I don't think the people who are, and I don't want to sound conspiratorial about it, but I think the people slash metaphysical entity or whatever that's responsible for this kind of managed collapse we're in or, you know, at the beginning stages of, I don't think it wants a spiritual revolution. I mean, for all the talk of people owning nothing and being quote unquote happy, you know, the, the happiness they want people to have is the happiness of, you know, um, the, the fat, the, the fat dog in a cage, you know, that's, that's being just fed treats in it, in it or, you know, the chicken in, in, in the, in the factory farm. I mean, it's, it's not a spiritual fulfillment. It's this, you know, like you say, base level, you know, uh, enough food to eat, you know, something entertaining in the VR goggles and that sort of thing. Um, but to get that, that reset, that like getting back to what it actually means to be human. Um, I don't know how I, I see nothing happening on a societal level right now that suggests that that's a path to that. I think it, it's kind of got to be on the individual or community level. Um, but, you know, certainly it's not, you know, it's not going to happen by electing a different president. It's not going to happen by going to see the newest Marvel movie or, or what have you. It's, um, it's gotta be something I think, um, on the, on the individual and smaller scale, which sounds kind of like, you know, I don't want to sound defeatist or like, you know, return to the Shire entirely kind of thing. But I just, I think that like mass society is kind, especially in the United States is just so irrevocably, done <laughs> for lack of a better word i think it's it's just it's not there's got to be it's got to be on a on a spiritual on a on a individual community family level there has to be kind of some some sort of spiritual reawakening but i just don't i don't see it coming from um from anything on the, the civilizational scale the national scale i guess at least not here yeah um but i don't want to sound it may be too black belt but i don't i don't mean it, i don't mean it to be a black belt actually i, I don't think it has to be at all i just think it, it's kind of a reality yeah, I think like you know the the family level seems to me uh, an an important level because it's just like it's the place where people just get reminded of the basics of life. Like once you you have children, um, you know the the idea of an EMP is not like a you know a, I guess like a you know like a LARP anymore. It's like okay, how will I feed? How will I warm? my child how will i protect him from well, whatever marauding gangs of psychos and you know maybe i've watched too many <laughs> post apocalyptic movies but you know that's kind of what i'm you know that's the first thing i'm thinking okay so it it really does you know bring in almost like a spiritual value hierarchy into your life where okay my purpose is to the safeguarding of this other human and the 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 facts of of you know life preservation of protection of all of that stuff just becomes so much more salient like you know you can essentially um play at life until you're a parent and i feel like that's why whatever type of social organization um society should have it would have to center the family and it would have to center you know just just for the survival of society. Like the fact that this is not even like a, a, you know, the main thing everyone's talking about all the time. The fact that our, all of our civilization is dying out, you know, just people are not motivated to have children anymore. And that this isn't like a, this is like the, the one thing that we should be thinking about is that, you know, it's, it's a clear diagnosis that the civilization is already dead. Like the spirit in it is dead. 
the idea that, you know, we wouldn't want to to reproduce ourselves. Like, this is a mainstream idea. I have, I've had people, you know, I used to work with in London saying, ah, you know, I can't have children because, I don't know, whatever, polar bears are on fire or something like that, you know. Uh, it's It's just... You could tell, like, you're dead already. Everything's dead already. And that's why I'm saying, you know, um, whatever social organization we're going to have, it's going to have to be structured around the family and structured around, you know, the continuation of of humans within that social context, within that culture, within all that. This used to be, like, completely common sense until five minutes ago, until we decided that whatever, um, I don't know, cooming and and eating treats and stuff like that is like the purpose of life it's i don't know it's 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 a bit dystopian but that's just how i feel like this is this has to be where we we orient ourselves and if, if it isn't then maybe we deserve to you know get conquered by barbarians if they're not completely taken over by this mind virus as well which is another possibility as well so the barbarians might just be completely uh, you know wiped out by by the same problem that we have yeah i think you're hitting on a very important point i mean I, i'm not a parent yet myself but i i'm really shocked at how quickly and totally antinatalism has become like a mainstream tenet like of the culture and of you know of um, just the zeitgeist, the, obviously the left, you know, the, the, when it comes to abortion or, you know, I mean, everything is kind of, is oriented around this idea of like, you know, the, the climate thing is a huge thing too, right? Like I'm not going to have kids to save the planet, right? It's that kind of thing. Or I don't want to have kids because they're going to inherit a world on fire and, you know, all these ideas, um, which is just, to me, it's like, I mean, first of all, I mean, climate change is a whole issue of, you know, how much of it is, is it as bad as people say is what certainly feels hot here in California right now. But the idea that you're going to not have kids, which is like the thing that is the most fulfilling thing in life, I think for the vast majority of people, um, and is, is like what it, the most deeply, what it means to be alive is like, you know, you, you kind of, you continue that by having kids, you know, it's, you can't, you don't just live for yourself. Right. The idea that you're going to not do that because, like, you know, Al Gore made a documentary and uh, these politicians who are flying private are telling you not to have kids. I mean, it's just so absurd, but it's become it's become a religious belief. Um, and it's it's it every issue seems to come back to that, like abortion, the the, you know, the whole transgender thing is just a, basically about sterilizing yourself. Right. I mean, it's about making yourself into a dead end. It's just it's a very it's crazy how quickly it's um it's pervaded the um you know it, it's not just a radical thing anymore it's not on the fringes it's like a real kind of deep you know um force or, or uh for so many people i mean it's just you know you have a career you, you don't have kids you don't you you do income no kids or you don't even you don't even have a partner or get married um it's just uh yeah it's um it's not good. I mean, I, I don't know about the civilization dying out. I, I, I think that there's maybe a return to balance of, you know, I, I don't, I don't fear that like, you know, a country is going to go extinct if it doesn't, you know, or, or something like that. I mean, people talk about Japan, for example, I, I don't, I think Japan will still exist in a hundred years. I think they'll, their birth rate will stabilize that sort of thing. But I think it's going to lead to, in a lot of places, it's going to lead to real, um, unrest and, and unhappiness and you see it already you see people you know who are 
uh, the boomer generation who may not have had kids and they're, they're aging and their, their lives now are, um, are very sad. And, uh, you know, I grew up around that sort of a lot of my parents' friends were kind of older um, than even them. And so I kind of saw these people when they were already, you know, nearly middle aged. And um, now um, when they don't have anything to anchor them, kids or grandkids, you just see these people kind of drift into, for lack of a better word, psychosis of various sorts. And I think that on a civilizational scale, um, that's going to keep on getting worse if it if it continues. So I think a lot of the movements and stuff that are happening, the craziness can be explained in part by that, the kind of the breakdown of family ties and uh, having something to live for. Yeah, I think I think that's that's true as well. And I feel like, you know, the, the idea that the, the nuclear family is um, kind of a, a bulwark against that, I think that's limited as well like i feel you know i I see a a lot of people you know they they have kids i feel like that's that's one step towards it but you know to actually feel like um real communities and and spaces you kind of have to be tied to multiple things like you really kind of have to be tied to to the the wider community you know you know i often make fun of this, you know, it takes a village type thing because everyone thinks that means like polyamory or something, but it does kind of take a village in the sense that, you know, there's, you know, you have to rely on the people around you if you have children, you know, just like, you know, the single mom, single dad thing, you know, is, is a, is a, is pretty crazy, especially with super little kids. Uh, And it's, it's understandably crazy because no one, there is no such thing as a single single bomb or single dad in our evolutionary history. We we used to, you know, live in bands and tribes and, and you know, small communities and, you know, children would be, you know, taken care of by the whole ecosystem around them. Um, and I feel like that's kind of even more of a loss, you know. I mean, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm a mom. I love my family. I love my my um, household. But it does still feel like it's it's atomized at a, at a higher level, you know? And I feel like a lot of people who, especially like older school conservatives, they're like, okay, we need to rebuild society on the basis of the nuclear family. Um, but you know, it's the nuclear family is kind of what, what got us into this place. Like it was, it was enough in a way, but also, you know, it's, it's just another step on the, on the way to, to atomization. Um, and I think that the, the core problem is that, you know, um, relationships between people are uncomfortable. I feel like the 60s taught people that they don't have to put up with it, which in a way is, you know, yeah, I kind of get some some relationships are abusive and terrible. But if a relationship is simply uncomfortable or someone is is quirky or a bit of an asshole or something like that, actually, you have to put up with it. Yeah, I feel like it should be normalized. The fact that you need to put up with your shitty relatives and you need to help them. And that's just the way, you know, things have been since the dawn of time. And yeah, I don't know, whatever. Your dad's a narcissist, you know, join the club. (laughs) What can I say? You kind of just have to, um, yeah, you have to, you know, be in a way, be a man and, and put up with this shit. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've struggled with this myself as well. Cause you know, I'm, I'm, we're neighbors with family here and we, we, you know, there's always tensions and stuff. And sometimes you just think, you know, let's just move to Hawaii <laughs> where we don't know anyone. And, you know, we get to opt out of this, you know, little hive of problems that are ancient and new and they get all sorts of nuances. And, uh, but the reality is that that's just not, something we do, you know, it's just, it's family. And I feel like people just have to remember a little bit that, you know, it's family and um, 
sometimes you just don't get to opt out of things. For sure. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, it's, it's become commodified human relationships, right? Um, the commodification of everything it's extended to human relationships. And now you have, you know, phrases like the one that every time I hear it makes my skin crawl is uh, emotional labor. Um, and this idea that like, you know, even being there for someone who you ostensibly love and who loves you is like, you know, a, a form of labor that like needs to be tallied and quantified. Um, and like you can put a price tag on it. And it's just, to me, it's just repulsive. Um, but I, I, I definitely agree on the nuclear family thing. I think it's, it's not, uh, simply it's not a very Lindy construct. I mean, it's a very recent thing. It's only really existed in, you know, first and foremost, I think America is like where it is ground zero for it, but the Anglosphere probably broader and, you know, the West recently, but you go to, you know, I mean, I've never been to Romania, but from my travels in other parts of Central and Eastern Europe, you know, as much as they've kind of moved towards us, you still have families living in proximity to each other. You have multi-generational households and people have like a, a four-story house with like, you know, grandma's on one floor and, you know, the kids are on one floor. And, and yeah, you know, you have conflicts that can arise from that. But the upside is that like, you have a family, you have, you have, um, you have, you're tied to a place. I mean, part of it, I think in the U S in particular comes from like the unique, just rootlessness of the culture here. I mean, mobility is like, you know, one of the most American traits going back to, you know, how did people even get here in the first place, right? They immigrated from somewhere. They came over as, as pilgrims, as pioneers, as frontiersmen, and then as, you know, immigrants and, and later on and so forth. But everybody came here from somewhere else and then they moved around the country. Um, once they came here. And so that's a big part of it is that it's um, people aren't necessarily tied to where they came from or where they, they grew up and, and uh, the parents might live on the other side of the country from the grandkids. And it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's not a sustainable way of life, I think. And it's not going to, it's not going to be around forever. I think, I think that the, the, the stronger, you know, the stronger will survive and the stronger people are the ones who are tied to a place, tied to family. And um, yeah, that extends to just beyond the nuclear family. I think um, it's uh, people really need to rediscover those things and, and, and do it quickly, I think, because um, it's just, it's not, you know, the way that, that it's a very brief window of like the post-war era, I think, when this was possible. But you see you know, the generational breakdown after you had the seventies with the, you know, the Gen X latchkey kids and you could already see it, you know, rising rates of divorce and all this. And now we're, you know, three or four generations into it. And it's, uh, it's clearly not working. Um, cause everybody's, everybody's miserable, not everybody, but you know, a whole lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just kind of the, the point where I think almost systemically we're going to have to in a way return uh, just because this is a kind of an outgrowth of a certain type of abundance that we've gotten used to, uh, which is slowly going to be in, in short supply, which is, you know, kind of sadly, it was, you know, one of the symptoms of, of, you know, the collapse that we've been talking about. And I feel like a lot of people will have to resort to, to family to go, go back just even just because they need, they need their family. And maybe that's not the worst consequence of this. You know, the fact that 
you know, we we have to stick together. There was like a, um, a hot minute when when COVID struck where we kind of had this almost like um, what was it like the like the blitz in London, you know, where everyone came together and we were just like, OK, everyone was, you know, organizing on Facebook and talking to people in real life because you just, you know, there's this virus coming and, you know, this external threat gave people a, a bit of meaning. But then obviously it turned into what COVID turned into and it didn't really work that way any, anymore. But, you know, the idea of um, there's hardship coming um, and the fact that, you know, it's, it's becoming very tangible uh, is, yeah, is, is unfortunately what we'll probably very probably have to deal with. I don't really see how we're going to um, bypass this without some, uh, some cooperation or uh, yeah, just, just learning to live together again. Um, Anyway, I want to, uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you the question of the show, uh, which is, um, do you have a subversive thinker, which could be anyone, writer, living, dead, any sort of subversive thinker that you can think of um, that you'd like to recommend to the audience? So, yeah, I, I can think of I think of a couple. I, I, I think the one, well, the one who I would most think of as responsible for kind of how I got to where I am. Um, and I, subversive, I mean, he's, he's not the most like, you know, cancelable person, but I think he's, I think his ideas and the way he presents them are subversive in the sense that like, you know, a lot of people, you know, like myself who maybe let their guard down a bit can really be swayed by him. And he was kind of my entry point into all this. And that's um, Paul Kingsnorth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I first heard of him, Back in about 2014, I read the um, the Dark Mountain Manifesto. I think it was called like Uncivilization. Um, I can't remember the exact name, but that was a massive eye opener for me um, because I was coming from a kind of center liberal um, uh, perspective. You know, not a super left wing, but um, you know, kind of a believer in progress um, as somebody who was raised in the 2000s watching reruns of Star Trek The Next Generation with my dad. I, I really did think we were going to have like fully automated luxury space neoliberalism. Um, and, you know, Kings North, uh, for people who aren't familiar with him, is I, I think he's changed. He's he's he, I actually sort of um, he dropped off the radar for me from a bit after that, um, but he was kind of my window into it. He was a deep green ecologist, I think is how he described himself back in that time. And yeah, he's uh, been on this podcast, actually. Really? Yeah. I am. Uh, well, yeah. that's that's awesome. I feel honored to be. I feel honored to be on the same thing that he was because he was literally probably the person. If I was to trace it back to one to one thing that really like hit me and and maybe kind of question things and explore more, it, it was reading that that. Um, that manifesto and the the idea that like the world is not on this you know inevitable upward trajectory of you know things getting technologically better and and you know socially progressively better that there are dark sides and downsides to these things that can be massive or or even total um, I think was kind of the the gist of his um, his uh, his you know statement back then and he's definitely evolved I think he's he's converted to orthodoxy since then and he's he's really an interesting guy I've been rediscovering him a bit, um, over the past, uh, year. Um, but he, you know, back in, in, you know, it was now seven or so years ago, I think he was even longer. It was the thing that probably had the most impact on me. So I I recommend people seek him out because 
He's also, he's also, for lack of a better way to put it, he's a real, uh, he's real good to, to send to show to normies, I think, for lack of a better word, because he's just, he kind of is approaching it from that, you know, ecological environmental perspective. Um, but kind of, you know, exploring where those things lead, if you take them seriously and take them to heart, if you really believe that like, you know, we have to live in like, you know, some kind of balance with this planet, with nature and, and, you know, the world around us. And, and a lot of other things follow from that too, that are not just about, you know, conserving water or, you know, turning off the lights. And, and it's about a lot more things than that and about humans and their relationships to each other. And, and, you know, um, men to women and, and parents to children, all these things. It's, it's, um, so yeah, I, I, he's maybe not the most subversive, but I think he's, he is in a sense that he can really be kind of a gateway for people. So I definitely would recommend him for people who haven't. And it's awesome. You've had him on. It's that's uh, <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. He's, uh, he's kind of, um, gaining a bit more steam lately. He has a sub stack and, um, he's been on a few, a few more podcasts. It's essentially, who told me about him? Uh, I think it was Charles Haywood from the Worthy House. I think he told me about about Paul Kingsmorf. Uh, it was it was it was his recommendation as well, because and that's how I heard about him. And then I invited him on. Um, yeah, I think there's there's you you make a really good point about people who essentially ran the thought experiment of a certain you know hard left ideology um, or you know idea, and essentially you know he he him being like a deep ecologist, uh, and then you kind of hit the 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 endpoint on that from the liberal frame and then you pass that you become a reactionary <laughs> like i don't know like like pentilinkola or something like that you know the, the most hardcore um the most hardcore ecologists are essentially eco-fascists <laughs> so yeah that's uh you you come out the other side in interesting ways yeah absolutely i mean you know it i think he would probably reject the label you know or i don't know about Eco-fascism. Yeah, no, like, no, no. That, I'm just, uh, I'm just saying that that's that that has happened a few times. Yeah, I don't. I'm not saying King's is an eco-fascist. I think he's, no, uh, sure. he's black-pilled, but I don't think he's fascist. <laughs> yeah, although I think, I think since his conversion to orthodoxy, he's become a bit less black-pilled, thankfully, which is kind of the path that I've gone, been going down. Not as far as him yet, but I mean, it, it is true that like if you're an honest person, you can't, you know, go through. You can't start at a point of like caring about the environment and and being, you know, anti-war and all these things and end up, you know, a Joe Biden voter. <laughs> um, you, if you're an honest person with yourself and with the world, you start to realize that like, you know, the entire edifice that we're living in is not sustainable. And that applies to things like mass immigration. It applies to economics. It applies to all these things and, and, you know, and gender roles and, you know, male to female relations and, and, you know, the, the decline in, in, um, in family formation and all these things, it's not, you know, it's all interconnected. And, um, it, I think that that's, uh, I think if there's any hope for like, you know, changing minds, it's kind of getting people before they go into the, uh, the Greta Thunberg climate crisis, you know, trap of, uh, we can fix this with, you know, um, going before the UN to make speeches and, you know, do carbon credits and, uh, build more windmills and, and all that. And then we can, we can, we'll end up on the USS enterprise, you know, that way. I mean, um, uh, but yeah, he, he would, you know, there's a couple other people that, that I would come to mind, but he's probably the one who I, I have to credit as most, um, responsible for me, not currently being some kind of just insufferable centrist lib like I was as a teenager. I think I, I owe him a lot. On that cheery note, 
I think, uh, yeah, we have to say goodbye. If you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it, and maybe want early access episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you.